0: So uh, last week we were uh, we finished off that section of deconverting, which has been uh, a way for us to talk about some of the doubts that exist for people who have said, "I've had enough of faith. I want to walk away." Um, We've been trying to deal with questions in in a way to bring them back towards God. That's the path that we've been on. And last week we talked about um, the fact that the, the, the Bible didn't exist until after Christianity did. So Christianity came before the Bible. And we we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God in its original versions as originally given. The Bible is, for those of you, hey, you might not have, some of you have seen this before and others of you haven't. This, this is my super Christian Bible. Um, I pull this out when I need to impress people because it's big. And a big Bible means... Strong faith, right? It means complete understanding. I've had this Bible since before I went to Bible school. This is my study Bible. And it is the one that is uh, the most marked up, the most written in. This is the one that I come back to. I don't always bring it here because, frankly, it's a little heavy to carry because it's so big. My big Bible and its beautiful blue genuine leather case But in this big blue case, I have uh, 66 different books. See, this is part of the misconception. We see it because there's one spine. We say, oh, that's one book. And that's the way most of us grew up understanding this is one book. And we call this book the Bible. But you'll remember if you were here last week that the Bible didn't come into existence until about 350 A.D. It wasn't called the Bible until about 388 A.D., In this Bible, we have a collection of ancient manuscripts that have been bound together. 66, 39 in what we call the Old Testament, and how many? 27, very fast math, uh, in the New Testament. And, And we put that in here. A number of different authors, a number of different styles of literature, It is so important for you to get into your head that this is not a book. This is a collection of ancient manuscripts. And the difference when you you start to read it um, is really quite astronomical, especially when you try to live out what's involved in there. So our Old Testament and New Testament are are, are common terms. We use them um, frequently. People who don't believe uh, anything that we believe or anything about Jesus still are usually familiar with the idea of Old Testament and the idea of New Testament, but most people have no idea where those terms came from. Those are just terms that they heard and they go, oh yeah, that has to do with the Bible. So let's be honest, it was, it was all written a long time ago, right? So they're, they're both old and maybe what we should call them is the Old Testament and the Older, Testament. You know, am I right? This stuff is just ancient. It's so hard to relate to our lives. And that's the way many people feel. Most people feel like the Testaments, the names, are based on history. The events in the Old Testament are older. Um, The events in the New Testament are newer. Um, And so that's why we call one the old and one the new. I mean, if you've Thought about it at all. Most people don't think about it because those are just labels that have already been given. They must be there for a reason. That's just what it's called. I don't need to understand beyond that. But when Jesus was alive, there was a collection of writings that were uh, considered sacred in his time, and those were the Jewish scriptures. And sometimes we use the word the Torah to describe the whole Jewish scriptures. Not technically accurate. The Torah is a section of the Jewish scriptures. But sometimes we use it to describe the whole thing. The Torah means the law. And so this is the law, then there's the writings, and then there were the prophets. And those are the three sections of the Jewish scriptures. But we just call it the Old Testament. But when Jesus was around, he didn't call it the Old Testament. It was just the Jewish scriptures. This is just what they were. Um, But the the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, we didn't call it the Old Testament until about um, 150 A.D., when we stopped calling it the Jewish scriptures, and then we started calling it the, well, what has become known as the Old Testament. That's when that terminology started. And it, like we said, didn't get bound together until about 350. It wasn't called the Bible until about 380. The term testament that we use, just that's just what we call it is from a Latin term. And this is, this is the way ancient stuff works sometimes. We look at it from our world, and you know, some of us get fairly arrogant. We say stuff like, well, this is the way the Bible is because this is the way we made it. This is what we call it because this is what we called it. And that's not entirely true. For a lot of people, they don't realize the Bible was never written in English. It's only been translated into English. And so that complicates things because the wording that we use, well, it comes from other languages. So the term testament that we use comes from Latin. Um, It's a Latin term, which is a translation of a Greek term that would also describe a Hebrew uh, term, the word testament, which means the word covenant. Uh, The common language of the day in the first century Uh, first century Palestine, was Greek. So the language that most people in the known world at that time spoke in the Roman Empire that got the the ability to communicate with the Romans, with the Greeks, Greek was the language of the day. In many ways, the way English has become a a language, a business language in our world, Greek was that language. But that didn't last because the Roman uh, Empire took more and more authority and Greek transferred to Latin. Latin became the language of commerce, the language of the empire. And so we had um, the New Testament, written mostly in Greek, some Aramaic. The Old Testament, written mostly in Hebrew, translated into Greek. We have this book that becomes known as the Septuagint. And that was the first Greek all-put-together thing so that people could understand it. Well, then we, we moved that to Latin because that's what Rome was all about. And Western culture was shifting. So the Latin phrase for new covenant is novum testamentum. Novum testamentum. Novum is Latin for new, and testamentum is Latin for what? Covenant. Right? That's the trick right there. It's Latin for covenant. So when they took the Bible and they made it English, they translated, the editors who were putting it together and Englishizing it, the same kinds of things that happened with the word church being um, not known as um, ecclesia, they moved it to the word kirch, which was much more building and much less people. We have a a translation issue that has long-reaching impacts. The same thing has happened with testament, So when they decided to label them, they thought, you know what, everyone's familiar with this being called the testamentum. So we'll just call it the testament, Old Testament, New Testament. And so that's what they had. That's the way they were working there. So if we had a straight up translation from Greek to English, we would use the term the old covenant And the New Covenant. And if we use that language instead of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we would have a much better understanding of how this collection of ancient manuscripts works together and what they mean. But we grew up with this being a book, the book, one book. And so we hold it as it's one book. But it's more complicated than that. And you're so glad that I'm drawing that out for you. The key here is that regardless of whether or not we're comfortable with it or not, the word testament equals the word covenant. Why does that matter? Well, the word covenant in in our New Testament is a translation from a Greek term that was used to refer to wills and contracts and agreements or pacts. In the uh, the Old Testament, the... uh, The Hebrew version, um, the word is based on the word covenant is from a Hebrew word that's referencing, again, treaties and contracts, the way that we dealt with other entities and made arrangements with them, which gives us a bit more of a feeling than, than testament does. Testament to us resonates with testimony. It's telling you, right? It's just a description of what happened. But covenant tells us something more about what is actually inside those ancient manuscripts. So just like today, countries enter into treaties with one another. And these treaties or these covenants were created to define roles, expectations, and consequences of unmet expectations between tribes, regions, and even kingdoms. Okay, so the nation of Israel officially entered into a formal covenant with God at Mount Sinai. The terms of the contract were etched into two stone tablets, and that agreement is commonly known as the Ten Commandments, the covenant between God and the nation of Israel. And this is some beautiful language. You're going to want more. I'm planning on you guys going to parties so you have party talk, okay? Here it comes. This is a classic bilateral suzerainty treaty. Bilateral, both ways. Suzerainty means not dealing with equals. Dealing with a suzerain, which would be like a king, someone above you. So someone below and someone above. Both directions have um, a responsibility. So it's a covenant between non-equals. And it was a conditional covenant, the way that it's written, as long as Israel kept God's commands etched on those tablets, God would keep the nation safe. That's the contract. But if the nation did not hold up their end of the deal, following what was written in the tablets, God was under no obligation to keep his side. Another wonderful point, more party information. Since we're here, anyways, the covenant that God made was to the nation of Israel, not individuals. So every time you read a passage or a promise in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, what you're hearing is a promise that was given to the nation of Israel. That is not the way that we use them when we put them on mugs and T-shirts and cards that we send away to our university students when we say, here is the promise of God, and we say, for you. But that treaty was given to the nation of Israel, and so all of the blessing was always about a blessing to the nation. Think of those passages that you've heard that talk about blessing. This is what I want to get. If I do this, then I get that, right? Conditional promises. That's what we hear, okay? All of the judgment, all of the discipline that is mentioned is also towards the nation, not individuals. And this might hurt your feelings a little bit, but the the old covenant was not a covenant that was written for you, It was a covenant for Israel. That's who was involved in it. That's who was there. And while that might hurt your feelings on the outside, you should not be upset about that. You you, you were not written into the contract. You, You weren't then. You're not now. You're not included in that covenant. But we are allowed to be part of another covenant a better covenant, a covenant that does not require animal sacrifice, which was the covenant drawn up at Sinai. Right? This is, this is a big deal, and that's why the, the way these words got translated matters a huge amount. The old covenant, God's covenant with Israel, was a package deal. It was all or nothing. You keep all the law, and you get God's care, protection, and watch over you. If you break the covenant, any part of it, the covenant is broken. God no longer has to fulfill his side of the contract. That's the way the covenant worked, all or nothing. So the new covenant that Jesus announced at Passover was not only new, it was completely a different kind of covenant than what God established with Israel on Mount Sinai. Jesus' new covenant is more like God's original covenant with Abraham. You remember that one. I know you do. The Abrahamic covenant, right? Genesis 15 is what you're thinking in your head, and you're right. In Genesis 15, that's exactly where it talks about. We're blessed to be a blessing. God said, I'm gonna bless you, Abraham, and through you, the whole world will be blessed. This was God's promise, the original covenant. Abrahamic covenant, Sinaitic covenant, Davidic covenant. There's different ones that come up in the Old Testament, but we just read it through. We don't bother to look where those things are or what they, what they uh, came in history or what they meant in those specific things, but the original one with Abraham, God gave Abraham a promissory covenant which is very different than a bilateral suzerainty covenant like at Sinai. The promissory covenant was unilateral, which means it didn't go both ways. It went one way. And in a promissory covenant, one party makes a pledge to the other party, and then they take full responsibility for taking care of um, those promises being lived out. So think of it um, in maybe your, your early teen years, like a crush, okay? That's what it's like. I will love you forever, no matter what you do. You're the one for me. And so people fall in love with the celebrities, and they go, oh, he's so dreamy. Oh, I love her. And there's no relationship. There's nothing there. But your love for that person is completely one-sided. They don't have to do anything to get your love. You've already decided on it. And so this is sort of the way it was with God. God decided he was going to love these people even though they did nothing for it. He just decided that's how it's going to be. So no matter what you are, I will love you forever. Speaking of crushes, things cut, okay? So the root of the Hebrew term for covenant means to cut. Why does that matter? You know, we use the language, you know what? We've been talking back and forth, and maybe we can think of the William William Nylander deal here. What they had to do, the Leafs and William Nylander, is they had to cut a deal, right? We use that language, we're going to cut a deal that comes from the idea of cut, a covenant. That's what you did in ancient times. You cut a covenant. And when they would describe cutting a covenant, it's not a clever metaphor. They would take an animal, or depending on the the seriousness of the covenant, multiple animals. And they would cut the animal in half. Or animals. And then they would lay them on the ground, one on each side. And then anybody who was going to be involved in the covenant would then walk in between those carcasses, and you, this is weird stuff, right? Why would people do something freaky like that? That's just crazy and gory. And st- the point was, when you walked through, you were saying to the other party, "May it be to me as to these, if I break the covenant." It was a way to declare the seriousness of your intent and your vow. That is what was happening there. But when you read in Genesis 15, what you will find is that only God goes through the carcasses. Only God says, may it be to me as these if I break my covenant. Abraham doesn't do it. It was a promissory covenant from God to Abraham. Only one person was responsible in that relationship for fulfilling their promises. God said, this is on me. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna take care of it. So I take full responsibility for uh, fulfilling my promises to you. It's unilateral and it is unconditional, which is different than Sinai, which is bilateral and conditional. That's a great backdrop for where we're going today. on the night of Passover, minutes before Jesus was to be betrayed, captured, tortured, and killed, he said to his guys gathered together, this cup is the, what does he say? Do you know? The The new covenant. In my blood, which is poured out for you, you could say it's the New Testament, but it wouldn't resonate with us in the same way. This is the new covenant poured out for you. And just like Abraham, we would not be required to participate in the covenant ceremony. We would observe it, but not be part of the ceremony itself. Unilateral, unconditional. And Jesus was saying this is on me for you. So why do we get so tempted? And I can sense in my head that even as I say these things, there are people who are going, oh, he's saying something bad. Why are we so tempted to go back into the old covenant and pick it up? And take it with us and say, I want that covenant too. When Jesus said, this is the new covenant. Why do we want to go back and take the old covenant up with us and say, the the obligations, the the, the responsibilities, the, the, the parts of it that I want, I want to take with me. I want them to be part of it. When Jesus said, this is the new covenant, the new beginning, the new start, the new freedom where grace would reign. The author of Hebrews, in uh, chapter 7, verse 22, he says, Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. He's saying that the other covenant wasn't as good. I'm not saying that. The writer of Hebrews did. And then in 8.6, in Hebrews, he says, the new covenant is established on better promises, So I'm guessing that no one ever told you that the Bible was organized into two covenants. You've always heard it as two testaments. The first covenant is between God and the nation of Israel, the old covenant, the old testament, and and, and the, the new one between God and everyone who chooses to participate, the new covenant, the new testament take your cue from the covenant that God made with you. The old covenant is not old as in older, more ancient, earlier in history. It's the old covenant as in the former covenant. The new covenant is new as in current. The one that replaced the old. This has nothing to do with the inspiration. I believe that the Bible, from beginning to end, all 66 books is the inspired word of God. We're not discussing inspiration or validity or anything like that. We're discussing about where you get the drive, where you get the focus of the relationship with God. Where does that come from? It comes from the new covenant. Both are the inspired word of God, but they are not equally Applicable. Jesus says it multiple times. He says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. What you knew, what you grew up with, you know that. But the new, the next step, the where we're going, the the covenant that I'm setting up, the direction for the future looks like this. If you had um, only the Gospel of John, it was the only piece of Scripture that you had, you could read it, come through it, and you would have enough information in it to make an informed, faith-filled decision to follow Jesus. You cannot say the same thing about the book of Genesis or Exodus or Leviticus. It doesn't make them invalid or unimportant it just means that the new covenant comes through Jesus, and they don't talk about Jesus. They foreshadow Jesus. They hint at Jesus. They constantly are pointing ahead to what will come. But when Jesus is there, that is the covenant that we get to be a part of, that we can be in, that our salvation comes through Christ, and Christ alone. You cannot say the same thing about all those other books. Jesus came to launch something new when he redefined Passover. And it makes us uncomfortable because we were trained so much that it's one thing. It's all together. It's all the same. But it's not all the same because the old covenant, when Jesus died, the old covenant was fulfilled, completed, Made obsolete. Not these stories in it, not the importance, not the interaction with God, not the, the relationships that are described, but the covenant relationship with God. Fulfilled. That's why Jesus came. He told us that, that's why he came. I did not come to abolish the law of the prophets. In no way, not a single word or phrase should ever pass away. I came to fulfill it. It's done. It is finished. New covenant, New Testament is how we focus and how we connect with God. So while they were still eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take And eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said to them, he gave it to them and saying, "Uh, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you that I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day that I drink it new with my Father, with you in my Father's kingdom. The blood that's involved in this covenant, new covenant, not animal sacrifice-based covenant. New covenant. We relate to Jesus. We see all of the Old Testament All of the Old Covenant. We see it all through the eyes of Jesus first. So when you look through Jesus first, then you read the Old Testament. And then you're able to see the foreshadowing. You're able to see the pointing towards Jesus that was always there. The people... In, in the Old Testament, had faith that looked forward to what God was going to do to fully finish the system. They knew that the sacrificial system wasn't magic. They knew that it couldn't just change everything. They just did it because that was the way things worked. In faith, believing that there would come a time when God would do something. We participate from the other side of history. We're looking back. Our faith says because of what Jesus did, everything goes forward. Their faith has to look forward to something that they didn't see and they died before they ever got to see that point. We look from it and we say, well, we didn't get to see it. We have to look back on it. But when you say, I don't know if God loves me, you say, well, Jesus died for you on the cross. And our natural response is to come up with, but what has he done for me lately? Lately. But so that you never have a question, you never have a doubt about whether or not God loves you, you can always come back to the point in history, a solid point that says God loved you so much that he sent his son from heaven to earth to live as a man, to be uh, treated as poorly as you have been treated, to be as mistreated as you have been treated, to suffer betrayal, loss, to be turned uh, against by his friends so that he might die, so that the blood that he sheds would be the blood of the new covenant that gives us hope, it gives us freedom, and it brings us to salvation. That is the celebration and the joy of the new covenant, based in grace, not based on you have to do all these things so that the relationship stays good you know what it's like to be in a relationship where they say everything's good as long as you do these things it's an entirely new world when you come to the other side and you say this relationship exists because you love me because you chose to love me regardless of what i have done amazing grace How can it be The God, for me, when he knows me, when he knows what I'm like, when he knows the kind of week I just had, amazing grace, how can it be? How can it be? That God would die for me—not about me taking a goat and killing the goat for my sin. The blood that was shed—not an animal, not a pigeon, not a sheep—the blood of God's only Son for me. That's the covenant that brings life. Paul says regularly, this is the covenant that teaches us about death. We just didn't make it. We can't live up to all of this. Why do we keep pulling the parts of the past out and saying, but this should be added in? And the Christians, when they were trying to figure this out, they went through the same problem. Paul had this problem all the time. People kept following around behind him and they said, it's awesome that you follow Jesus. It's awesome that you confess your faith. It's awesome that you've done, oh, you've received the Holy Spirit. Fantastic. Now here's what you need to do to make it work. Here's what you need to do to make this one work. That's not grace. That's grace plus. That's Jesus plus those other things. Saved by grace. By grace alone. So that it's Jesus only. Jesus ever. Jesus. All in all we sing. When you look at your Bible, it is so important to know the weight that has been lifted From you. We don't throw this away. We hold it. The same way Jesus did. When he looked back and he said. Those are the things that happened. That's the way it was. You have heard it said. But now it's something new. But now it's something. Better. We celebrate that covenant. We participate in that covenant. When we take communion. When we take those symbols that Jesus said, hey, I want you to get this idea of sacrifice that we used to talk about here. I want you to have those same ideas of what it looks like. But when you're over here, the sacrifice is is me. I'm your sacrifice. No more of those other ones. Once. And so we choose to celebrate that by celebrating communion. I'm in. Not because I'm part, an equal part of that covenant, but because we're just saying it's a choice that I have decided that I'm going to make. You have done the work for me, Jesus, but I'm going to choose to live my life in obedience to you. Not to follow the rules here so that I'm good enough. I'm going to choose to follow you and do as you have guided me to do because the path that you point to is better it's the path that you would set aside for me to follow. Grace. And grace alone is your salvation. The choice to live in obedience to what God says is not obligation. It is choice. It is a way of saying thank you for what you've done. And so that's what we celebrate today. So if that's the story that you want to live out with your life, then we would encourage you to participate. If, you don't, uh, if you've never participated with communion here before, That's okay. You can if you're going to say that my life is submitted to Christ and I accept what he has done on my behalf. I admit that I have failed, that I have messed up, that I have been sinful. And as much as I would like to think that there's a way that I can put it all back together and make it all okay, I can't. My only hope is Jesus. And I choose that covenant. Covenant. I choose the one where he set it aside for me. And he welcomed me in and said, come. So if, 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 you, if you can say that, if that's, if that's part of your story, then participate with us today. If, if you haven't decided to follow Christ, it's totally okay. One step at a time, right? We're glad that you're here. But let's just be honest. It's not, a, it's not a point of condemnation. There's no shame in this at all. It's just a way to declare our relationship with God, our choice to be in that relationship, our choice to participate in that covenant, to receive what we have been given. So if that's what you'd like to do, we're gonna, we, we have a system where we come down as much as we can this aisle and go up this aisle. All the elements are at the back. You can take them there. And I would encourage you, because I believe that there's part of this that's personal, but there's part of this that is always supposed to be celebrated in community. Choose to participate with someone else. Take a second. Pray a 30-second prayer for somebody else and take communion together. If you have your family here, then then enjoy it with your family. You want to participate with some other friends? Do it. You can even make a little bit of noise, okay? I know that sometimes you go, oh, it's got to be a hush. And that's good, but if if the hush comes at the expense of the connection of people, well, we want to get rid of a little bit of that hush. And we want to hear some murmur, right? We want to hear you talking together, praying together for each other. 30 seconds, 15 seconds. Bless somebody else. Look somebody in the eye, even if you can only hold it for a second. This is what we share together. The new covenant. The hope of Jesus. Your story and my story. I'm glad. Father, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your your choice to become a man on earth, to fulfill the old covenant, to open the door to hope, to peace, to purpose, to passion. Lord Jesus, we choose to recognize you as our sovereign. You are above us. You are our Lord, and so we choose to follow you. Your love for us is not conditional upon our following you, but our closeness to you is impacted. The development of our faith is impacted by how closely we choose to follow you. Obedience shows that we are friendly with you. So continue to work in our hearts and transform us into your likeness. Continue to to take the mind of flesh away and replace it with the mind of your spirit. That we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we might be made more into the likeness of Christ. That we would be able to share the hope, the goodness, the grace, the glory of what you have given to us with someone else. Thank you for the gift of your body. Broken. Given for us. Thank you for the gift of your blood. Spilled out. Your life, given that I might have life, and life eternal. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for what you are doing in us. And thank you for what you will continue to do through us. Be at work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a moment, prepare yourselves, and then please come to the back. If there's someone you can take communion with, take it with them.